from a very young age started struggling with body image or also just overeating. Every time I look in the mirror, I still feel like I look the same that I did my entire life. I never blamed myself until everyone on the internet did. I hate the fact that I believe everything that I read online after filming felt so much worse than I even did in high school. I never anticipated what would actually go down behind the scenes. I had a panic attack in that moment because one, I was like, what are they trying to do? What is the storyline that they have in, in play for me? We weren't sure whether or not there were hidden cameras or mics in the apartment. You can't leave the hotel room because the entire hallway is lined up with PAs and Wranglers. Because I was just ready to escape. They have your password, they have everything of yours. I was stuck. So he stood up, took off his mic, threw it at producers. That's when I told them, like, honestly, like, I haven't felt like this in a long time. I was already starting to feel suicidal in that moment. They would intercept the contestants asked for water. Every single sentence I said was ripped apart by so many people that know. Like, you were talking to and looking at the creator of the show the head of Love is Blind, what would you say to them right now? Shame on you, do better. Welcome back, everyone, to Diary of an Empath. Today's guest is Danielle Rule from season two of Love is Blind. Danielle's experiences on the show brought her into the public eye, and she has since used her platform to speak out about the negative effects of reality TV on mental health. Danielle is a survivor of disordered eating and has a history of mental health challenges that she's been very open about and how it's impacted her experience from Love is Blind and her well-being. Danielle's story is one of resilience, courage, and determination to create change in the world. We hope that her words will inspire you, challenge you, and ultimately leave you feeling empowered to make a difference in your own life and the lives of others around you. So without further ado, Danielle, welcome to the show. Thank you. And thank you for that wonderful intro. I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to tear up. (laughs) You deserve it. I got to roll out the red carpet for you. you. Okay. So I think that, you know, for those who some have watched season season two. I know I was. Um, some may have not. So for some of you, this may be you know a new story for you. But I really want people to understand who is who they're listening to and who they're watching right now. So what do I need to know about your upbringing to understand the woman that I'm talking to right now? Yeah, um, for sure. So I think some things that are interesting that people don't necessarily know, and I actually didn't have the epiphany until recently is that, you know, I was a child model. And I didn't realize the impacts that that had on me growing up. Um, So my my mom was a model, my grandma was a model. And so immediately, um, when I was very young, I was a model. And I remember kindergarten, taking the train every day to go sees, essentially. And you know, you get rejected a lot from those I like very like I remember perfectly going through a smile training because I kept getting rejected from so many ads and sitting there and I just couldn't get my smile right. Um, That was short lived. And after that is when I kind of started eating um, a lot more. And so I don't know if I was going to it more as like a coping mechanism. Um, But around the same time is when I kind of like started feeling the, the feelings of depression and anxiety, even though I didn't necessarily like know that those words existed kind of retroactively looking back and kind of dissecting my life in therapy, you kind of like come to these conclusions later on. So looking back at my childhood, I'm like, okay, it it does kind of make sense. And here are some of the puzzle pieces that go together. It's nature and nurture, right? But 
here are some of the things that took place that kind of impacted the way that I viewed myself and that I viewed the world. And so after, you know, kind of going through the whole child model experience, kind of failing at that in a sense, and then feeling like that was how I got my family's acceptance, I then like from a very young age started struggling with, you know, body image or also just like overeating and looking around at my family who was all healthy and fit and I couldn't play a sport for the life of me. Um, And so it was tough. And I kind of like I kept turning to food in order to find my own escape in a sense, because as everyone else was going to practice, I was sitting at home eating Pringles. And so I think that that just kind of like it kept going for the rest of my life. And up in high school, I was my heaviest. And like every like, it felt like every month I was having to buy a new pair of of jeans. And if you would look at my closet, you would think I was crazy because the amount of clothes that I would have, but I would keep all of them hoping that I would get back down to the size that I was when I, you know, started. And so that was just incredibly defeating. There was there were nights that I would go to sleep to YouTube videos that were actually of hypnosis on how to develop an eating disorder. I wanted an eating disorder. And so like thinking back to the way that my brain worked and even like not eating for one day and then stepping back on the scale and having it do nothing, I was just like, why can't I do it? Why can't I do it? And then in college, I actually then did develop an eating disorder. And this was due to, I think, like sorority recruitment where it's like, it's, oh, it's based on looks. It's not based on personality. And the houses you get back are essentially um, based on like your appearance. And it was apparent with what houses my friends were getting asked back to versus me and how many they were getting asked back to versus me. And then ultimately going into a sorority kind of based on the fact that they wanted my friend to join and they knew we were best friends. And they kind of told me that they pushed for me. And I was like, you know what? I want to feel like I belong. And that's when I started um, mainly my sophomore year, end of my freshman year, just like not eating and overly exercising. I would like restrict myself to only chicken breasts. I was working out twice a day and making sure I had like a 500 to 1,000 calorie deficit based on my Fitbit and uh, my fitness pal. And it just got to a point where I was like throwing up blood. And, you know, it... (sighs) It was, it was really difficult, but it was interesting because after I moved out of the sorority house and was living with a couple of my friends after, I reverted back to the way that I was eating before. And so slowly I started regaining the weight up until I had uh, one of my first jobs out of college. And we were working there till 3 a.m. And again, in order to kind of like distract myself from the stress of the job, I was constantly eating the food in the kitchen. It was one of those jobs where there's like always food around. And then I got to a point where I was even heavier than I was in high school. And so um, then I lost weight again, but I I constantly have this like feeling of being overweight, if that makes a sense. Like every time I look in the mirror, I still feel like I I look the same that I did my entire life. And that is something where it's like, and then I look at pictures from like two years ago and I'm like, Danielle, like you looked great then, but then I'm hard on myself now where it's like, oh my gosh, Danielle, you looked great two years ago. How'd you let yourself get here when you were there? And so it's kind of like an up and down battle. And, and, you know, I've gotten a lot better with body image. I was actually just on a phone with a friend saying I recently gained 18 pounds over the winter, but I'm laughing about it instead Mm -hmm. of like sitting around sulking about it. And I'm proud of myself for that. But still I was putting on a pair of shorts because it's the first time that it's warm in Chicago. None of them fit. 
And you know that it wasn't the number on the scale. It was like how I felt in the clothes that I was wearing last summer where I'm like, ah, you know, this is tough. This is tough again. But at least now it's a little bit less defeating because I think part of the mental aspect of body image and, and all of that is also just feeling like you're not strong enough to actually have like the willpower to stick to something. And that's kind of like the mindset that I had that would put me in an even lower place. But right now I know that I can. Like I don't I don't question myself. Um, I don't push myself to the limit to make my make sure I do it in a month unhealthily. Like now now I'm like, okay, Danielle, like it's it's okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like you're okay. You still look great. Um, you can start eating healthier. You don't have to sit in your apartment and eat all day because you're bored in the winter. You know, like it comes and goes in waves. Well, first I want to validate you and to let you know that you're not alone. I think that even from what I'm hearing from you, you had all of these reinforcements around you from family and society and sororities telling you, you have to fit a box. You have to fit mm-hmm. this box. And if you don't, you're not worthy enough. And we're, we're not only fed that from people around us, but from society. Society tells yeah. us that you're, if you're skinny, you're valued. And if you're not, well, then you're unhealthy or w- whatever it is. Yeah. And, you know, even me, like, let's say the last year I had surgery a couple months ago. And it's so funny because like when I was telling you off camera, I just went to Chicago. And when I was there, nothing fit me and it was driving me nuts. And I'm like, I feel bloated. I feel gross. And Mm -hmm. it was that um, I just kept, I I couldn't get my mind off of it. I couldn't even enjoy the trip. And I find myself same thing, you know, none of my clothes fit me, but I'm going to keep them just in case. So I just want to validate you that, you know, I totally understand and empathize with how that feels and how to, you know, to be working on that, that, that mindset of, okay, let me accept myself for who I am. But at the same time, I want to be smaller. And it's not easy to go through that. Now, I I know when I was watching the show, I know, you know, me personally, because I've interviewed other people, I have the mindset of not everything is what you see. But a lot of people get so invested into these shows, and they think they know everything what they're seeing within a 45 minute span is reality. This is it. Mm -hmm. Take me through the casting process. Firstly, why did you want to go on the show? And take me through the casting process from start to when you started rolling. How does it work? Yeah. So, um, I just remember watching season one and I was fascinated by, you know, the, the process because in terms of like my previous dating life, there really was no consistency in the physical appearance of the people that I was gravitating towards and being a little bit more, um, insecure. Like I'm not going to go up to a guy. Sometimes I act really awkward when I'm having conversations with guys at a bar. And so I was primarily using dating apps. And I was finding that the majority of the people that I would actually develop relationships with were the ones that I almost just stared, like I I was stereotyping them and I was saying no. And it's not even just based on physical appearance. It's like, oh, this guy, you know, is taking a gym selfie. Maybe he acts like this, but Mm -hmm. in reality, he could be an awesome guy and just looks good in a gym selfie and wanted to show it off, you know? So like, there are so many different things outside of just appearance that can make dating apps hard. And then I would go on them and it was the energy. And so there's, there's no other way to really um, figure out like if you could actually fall in love with a person without any of any of those external factors. And so like today's, it it is too, you know, shallow of a world for there to be a dating app that does that. Right. Um, And so 
I, and I was like, this is going to work for me. I, I knew that I was probably going to fall in love with someone. I didn't know if someone was going to fall in love with me, but, um, I, yeah, I was really excited just about the entire premise of it. Okay. So when you're in the pods or actually let's back up. So when you found out that you were a prospect for the show or that you, they were going to move forward with you, how did that casting process work? Cause I know that recently you and your ex-husband, Nick talked about some of the, the lack of psychological assessments. So did they have somebody do an assessment? If so, how long, what was that process like? Yeah. So, I mean, in terms of just the typical process, you know, as you would anticipate the Skype interviews and then some questionnaires just about your life. And then there is a psych eval in which I, I really thought I signed a confidentiality agreement on, but again, I, my memory is failing me at this point. Um, and it does, it, it brings you through your life. Like you talk through, okay, this is how I grew up. Um, there was, again, like I was, I was suicidal in, in high school and so I had disclosed that. However, I had worked really hard to get to the place that I was right before going on the show, which is one of the reasons why I did feel confident. Um, I still was, you know, transparent about the fact that I do struggle with anxiety and depression and that I was, you know, on antidepressants at the time. However, at the end of the day, he's like, well, it doesn't sound like you're suicidal now. It sounds like you're fine. And I was just like, okay, yeah, I guess so. And, um, I ultimately, he was like, yeah, you passed. And I was like, whoa, you know, based on okay. some of the stuff I told him and, and there's a lot of things that had happened in my past and a lot of past traumas that I, I probably will never open up about. Um, but, but I did with him, um, because he was a, a therapist and I genuinely didn't want to go on, on an experience that was going to bring me back to the place that I had been previously. Mm -hmm. So I did trust that. Um, looking back based on some of the things that I said, e even in my mind, I'm like, I shouldn't have done it. And I don't think he should have cleared me to be well, honest. In all fairness though. And here's the thing for anybody. Cause I, I see comments that like, Oh, they should, you, sh if you have that history, you shouldn't have done it. I don't think that you should be punished for a, for yeah. having those, you know, the history of suicidal ideations sure. or because you had body image stuff, you shouldn't be punished for that. That's number one. Number two, I don't think that anybody really could have prophesized or guessed the amount of pressure yeah. and the the experience unless you are, you are the person going through that experience yourself. I don't think that yeah. they're going to come out and give you all the negatives because they want people on the show. So, you know, I don't think anybody could have foreseen that. Because actually now that I think about it, I never blamed myself until everyone on the internet did. I'm sure. And now here I am like putting all of the blame on myself because that's what I'm hearing. And I hate the fact that I believe everything that I read online, but I get convinced, you know, and I'm like, oh, they're right. But I'm like, no, like they're not. But when you read something so many different times, yeah. I am like, oh, Danielle, you're such an idiot. But that's because everyone else is calling me an idiot, you know? Yeah. And um, you're not. I didn't think that. And then again, like I was, you know, in a great place. I had done so much work since high school and I had, I like, after filming felt so much worse than I even did in high school. And so I think that's another thing that people don't realize. It's not, you know, like I did a lot of work and, and I, you know, and, and again, like not, does it matter whether or not you have depression or anxiety, but the place that I was in going into it, I was super optimistic. I like wasn't in, in a better place and I never anticipated what would actually go down behind the scenes. It started and a lot of people assume, oh, you know, like the depression, the anxiety, all of this kind of stuff happens after it airs. Mm -mm. It was literally the day after filming. 
ended that I went to dinner and we were so uh, Nick and I were supposed to be celebrating. And I was like, I've never felt worse than this in my life. And that was true. I never had. And so it is after the filming process, not even because of the negativity and the hate. And obviously that just adds an additional layer uh, mm-hmm. that brings you down even lower, but, but it was just after the process itself. Well, I think too, watching it on TV, it's kind of glamorized. And I, again, I just don't think that anybody can really anticipate the amount of pressure, the amount of time, the lack of sleep. You know, I, I want to go up to the Mexico scene because there was a scene that you were in Mexico with Nick. Everybody was out having a party, having a good time. You were in the room. And the way that it was portrayed was that you chose to stay in the room. I think it was because you weren't feeling well or something along those lines. Nick came in. You were having a breakdown. It made it appear as if you were kind of having a breakdown out of nowhere and that you were unstable, let's say. people That's yeah. what people were saying. Take me through that night and what happened. For starters, we took a bus from the airport to Mexico with, they call them wranglers, people that like kind of make sure that you don't go anywhere that you're not supposed to. And someone on the, one of the wranglers on the girl's bus had gotten COVID and she tested positive right after we got to Mexico. And so because of that, all of the girls had been exposed. And Nick and I were completely ready to go. I was super excited. He didn't want to go. He's like, oh my God, I don't feel like doing this. I just want to spend my time with you. And I was like, oh, I'm excited to see the girls. Mm -hmm. So we are like dressed up, ready to head out the door. Literally right at that moment, the executive producer walks in and is like, "Uh, sorry, Danielle, you can't go because you were exposed to COVID. And I was like, are any of the other couples not going? Um, They're like, Shana's not going. And I was like, I already know that Shana and Kyle broke up. So that doesn't mean anything to me. And so that's why I got in my head. I was like, okay, every single girl was exposed. Why am I the one that's not able to go? And Nick and I just spent the entire day yesterday hooking up, (laughs) you know, like we were like on top of each other for 24 hours. Like, why can he go? And I can't. Um, And they didn't necessarily have a great answer for that. And so Nick is like, I am not leaving. Um, I'm staying with her because at that moment when they said that, I was like, why, why, why? And you could just tell in my eyes and like my entire like energy that I was already starting to get to a, a pretty bad place in terms of anxiety. And they ultimately were like, Nick, you have to go. Um, and so he went and was like, you have to have someone here that you trust. She can't be here alone in this state. And no one ever came. So I was left alone in the room for like hours and hours. And it's interesting. So yes, I, I had a panic attack in that moment because one, I was like, what are they trying to do? What is the storyline that they have in, in play for me? Nick and I told each other everything about each other off camera, like immediately, because there are things that we didn't want to be filmed. So it was just a lot to process. I was like, mm-hmm. you know, is this about me? I know this about him. Like, and also like, what the hell? Why am I like, why am I not invited? Right. And so that's when I started having a panic attack. And we weren't sure whether or not there were like hidden um, cameras or mics in the apartment or in the hotel. So that's why I went to the closet. Um, And so I went in the closet, had a panic attack. And this is something that I actually haven't really talked about. There was a time period, we had a swim up pool. And in the swim up pool, uh, there was like three other um, rooms that shared the same swim up pool. And I had made friends with a couple um, that was next to us. And during the time period when they were all filming, and I was alone, I actually asked them if I could go into their hotel room because the, so you can't leave the hotel room mm-hmm. by the door because the entire hallway is lined up with uh, PAs and Wranglers, but no one was watching me from the swim up pool. 
So I swam up to the neighbor's place, went in and FaceTimed my sister. I texted her and I was like, please answer. This is Danielle. And I was like, can you, can mom or dad do anything to get me out of there? Out of here. Like, like, um, cause can dad's work somehow fly me back like from Mexico without having a passport? Cause I was just ready to escape. Um, so yeah, like that was a big no, no. You're not even supposed to talk to your neighbors at all. You're not supposed to talk to staff, nothing. Um, let alone have a cell phone and let your family already know that you're engaged. But I could not, like, I literally just wanted to get out of there. But, you know, I just, there was, I was stuck. I was stuck. Um, they have your passport. They have everything of yours. Oh, um, wow. And so I, I ended up swimming back and going back into the closet because I was just like, I don't want to be like seen. I don't want to be heard. And um, when Nick had returned from the couple's party. So, th- so this is another thing that kind of explains the conversation with the producer um, that I had gotten irritated about. So Nick is like, I am going, I'm saying hi, and I'm coming back. And I was seeing him like, again, like this is, this is a little bit of jealousy. He was having the time of his life. It took him like six hours to come back. No one had come in and I'm losing my mind. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know, why did no one come? Like, why did no one like maybe check on me or like, you know, I thought he was coming back. So I was like, oh, you know, I saw you talking with the producer and I thought you were coming back, but he actually went back to the couple's party. So that's what I was talking about with him. But Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, um, you know, the producer showed up. I was actually... They're like, Danielle, Danielle, where are you? I was missing. That's because I was talking to people uh, in the swim up pool. So I had to like swim underwater and go back to the room. Oh my gosh. Um, So I was still (laughs) like hyper anxious. And they were like, I was like, I just had a panic attack. And they were like, well, we need you to film a scene where Nick comes in and talks about the other couples. Um, And I was like, I'm not doing that. Like, I literally don't care to talk about anyone else right now. I'm not going to talk shit about other couples. I'm Mm -hmm. not okay. And they didn't tell Nick any of this. And so Nick, you know, is told, oh, go in. Like, Danielle's excited to hear about the couples. Meanwhile, mm. I'm like, I'm not being filmed. I'm not being mic'd. I have no mic on, but the mics are strong enough where Nick's could pick up my voice. So he comes in, they make us sit really close on the bed, and he starts talking about the couples party. And I'm like, I don't want to talk about this right now. Like, I just had a panic attack. Like, I, I cannot. And he was, when he found out no one was with me, that my anxiety had gotten to that level, he, was like, we're, we're leaving, we're leaving. So he stood up, took off his mic, threw it at producers. That's when I told them, like, honestly, like I haven't felt like this in a long time. I was already starting to feel suicidal in that moment, kind of foreshadowing, like, I know how this is going to go. My dad had warned me that I wasn't, he, he's like, I know how this is going to impact you. My dad's always right. He's almost like a psychic when it comes to me. And I was like, man, like, I, I have to get out of here. So Nick and I were trying to persuade them to leave. And the second that I mentioned suicide, everyone from the cast and crew showed up like hundreds of people ran over to try and convince us to stay and they're like oh when someone mentioned suicide this is what we have to do but like oh you have to have producers come over like there's no like mental health professionals or doctors or anyone else that can come over take my heart rate you know mm-hmm. felt like I was having a heart attack um but no no they just came over to try to convince us to stay ultimately we did decide to stay that it, it, it didn't feel like we had a decision in the moment because you're kind of like brainwashed by them. But that was like, yeah, we wanted to leave. And and after that, it just like completely changed my entire experience. And having that amount of anxiety, like from the the start, it only kept going throughout the experience. Um, Not only because of how, honestly, like my producer was so unethical, not only that, um, not only him bringing up past traumas in every single interview, making him feel like I didn't deserve love, because that was like Mm -hmm. the storyline that I had. It's like, 
do you think you deserve Nick's love? Like, blah, 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 blah. This happened to you in your past. Do you think because this happened to you in your past, you're ever going to be able to trust a man? Like all of these things that would, that would be like drained in my head. I'm like, do I deserve love? Like, mm. is he too good for me? And like, so I would, and like, and so that like really, really impacts your psych when you already kind of have these like yeah. insecurities, not only about your body, but about yourself. And now it was like, I was like, am I not a good person? I was questioning who I thought I was based on who the producers were trying to make me be. And so it just kept escalating and escalating and escalating. And that's why after filming, I just felt like a shell. I felt like I had never in my entire life knew who I was because they convinced me that I was an entirely different person than like, you know, like who I, who I thought I was at the core. Side note, did you guys know that I'm not only a therapist, but I'm also a professional tarot reader? It's not exactly me hovering over a crystal ball telling your future. It's a tool to connect with your guides and your higher self to help you in certain areas of your life. Tarot genuinely changed my life and it can potentially change yours too. Click on the link in this podcast for more info. Okay, back to the podcast. Oh, Danielle, my heart goes out to you. Like I just, I'm mad for you um, because I can, I, I can even picture how every single, even just in that night, how all of those things were potentially, and sounds like set up on purpose to yeah. trigger certain things in order to get a reaction, to have it look a certain way for yeah. the show. Um, tell me about the food in the water, because I, I know that you and Nick were mentioning that there was an access issue to food and water. Yeah, um, I think everyone's experience is different. In terms of the pods, it was like very inconsistent and very um, minimal. And it, it, one thing that I actually didn't know until reading the, the business research, the business insider article, I always say business research, okay. <laughs> So the Business Insider article that kind of sparked all of this, they actually interviewed a PA and the PA straight up said that they would intercept the contestants asked for water. And this is coming from a PA and I had no idea. Sometimes I was like, maybe they're busy, maybe this, maybe that, but they were literally told to intercept it. And if they brought water to bring alcohol with it. And I was just like, so our, like, our like assumptions are real, you know, sometimes cause you know, like you, you try to give the benefit of the doubt cause you think it's so wild. Like, oh, you know, maybe they just like aren't hearing us request it. Maybe they forgot. But hearing that it was on purpose from someone who actually worked on the show was crazy. And I actually connected with someone who had worked on the show as well recently through Instagram stories after I started posting something. And they were like, we as the, the crew were treated just as bad. And that broke my heart. Um, they were like, we were treated horribly. And there was actually a lot of people who quit while we were um, filming, the, the person who I actually trusted, who was on my production team, quit midway. She just couldn't handle it working. Oh, because she probably had a heart. <laughs> my producer. No, nope, exactly. She does yeah. have a heart. And it, it broke my heart that she left because she was someone who I actually trusted. And wow. and so that that was a whole other issue. It was like there were so many people quitting during mm -hmm. it. Um, so that was a whole other thing. But anyway, so that was the pods. And then in Mexico, um, it was an even worse situation. And where um, we had it, the first night, we had access to food and water. And that's because you order room service through a, like a smart TV. And there's a menu and, you know, we got everything that we wanted. And then we went to film a scene. And while we were gone, we come back in the coffee machine. I can't remember if it was taken out or broken, but the coffee machine wasn't there. 
and the TV would not turn on. And so we had no way to order room service by ourselves. Um, We kept calling the front desk to ask for food, ask for water and ask for room service. Our room was trash because of how drunk we were the first night. Um, And so, and none of it came. And so we're like, this is so weird. But we thought, okay, there's a line of PAs sitting outside our door. There is a line of Wranglers sitting outside our door. We asked them constantly, hey, is the food or water coming? Because we ordered it through the phone. And they, I don't know if it was intercepted. I don't know if they didn't ask. I don't know if they were told no, you know, like, so we just didn't get it. We didn't get it. We stopped getting it for uh, days. And so we ended up giving up and made friends with someone who worked for the resort through the swim up pool. Thank God we had that who would uh, go and bring us back stuff. There was also the, the couple from Arkansas that let me use their phone to call my sister I was like, this is crazy. Like we have water. If you guys want some, like we can go to the buffet and get you guys food if you need it. And so we were relying on the people that we met in the resort that we weren't supposed to be talking to in the first place in order to get food and water. What about alcohol? If you wanted to order alcohol, how quickly would that, that get was, to you? That was weird. Yeah. yeah. Like I, I, I asked for food and a bottle of wine. Guess what I got? Bottle of wine. wine. Mm-hmm. And I'm an idiot and I did drink it. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> you're, you're stressed. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're, you're coping. I don't, I don't blame you for that. It sounds yeah. like there was, you know, and here's the thing. When you have a lack of sleep, you are not in an environment that you're used to. You're pr- pretty much being controlled. That's like, re- that's like a prison. Let's just be honest with yeah. you. I think people think, well, you're in Mexico. You're living the life right now. But when somebody is controlling you and saying, you cannot do this, you cannot leave your room, that amount of pressure. And even what that does to your psyche, that's literally like a breakdown. I mean, I remember when I was in the Marine Corps and the military and I'm like, they told me I couldn't do anything. And my, my first reaction was to fight back. Yeah. Everything's on purpose. So in the pods, Nick was like, I'm a neat freak. Anything out of order, like really, really irritates me. If I don't have coffee in the morning, I get very, very, very agitated. And so the fact that we didn't have room service the entire time, you're locked in a room. So we had to sit in this messy room for three to four days. And then on top of that, like he had no coffee. And so they were like, and again, I can only make assumptions, but it's like, huh, interesting that, you know, everyone has different things that happen in Mexico in terms of behind the scenes, but that was ours. And I can only, you know, we only can make these assumptions that it's to kind of bring you to your breaking point. So a lot of people ask the question, why didn't you just leave? And I know that there was kind of something that was circulating about a potential $50,000 fine if you did. So I'm asking you the question, why didn't you leave? Yeah. So I never heard them threaten the, the fine, but it's in the back of your head, right? And that some people are like, that's absurd. But if every single person is just like, I'm just leaving because I can, they would have no show. So I understand that they're investing in you as a contestant. However, in certain like circumstances as in mine, like I I would hope that they would let me leave. Um, They didn't use the fine. They kind of used more so manipulation tactics and convincing us like, you know, your relationship won't last because we set this accelerated timeline where, you know, you meet the family, you do this, you do this so that you are prepared for marriage and all of these different things. Um, They kept bringing up Lauren and Cameron and how we fell in love so fast. And so that night we, we didn't know. And then the next day our producer came over, we sat outside and I was, I would not talk. I was sitting like this. I was just like numb. And we were, I was just like, whatever, whatever, fuck it. Like, just shut up. We'll say, 
And I, I was just pissed, but it, it, I didn't want to. Another question I get asked all the time is, why did you go to the reunion? Why did you do after the altar? It's funny. So I, I, I don't, I might've misread the contract because I'm not a lawyer, but I thought it said you had to participate in the three additional episodes. That's how I read it. I'm not a lawyer. However, I actually got a note. I, I recent, I'm like, my memory is fading me, but the more I talk about it, the more I remember. Mm-hmm. I found a note from my psychiatrist requesting that I do not have any further access with the show. So all these people are shitting on me for going to the reunion after the altar. When I literally sent a note from my doctor saying I shouldn't participate. And they called me saying, this is going to make you feel better. This is going to make you look better. We're going to change your narrative around. So I said, I am not going to the reunion. Me and Nick flow, flew out there the day of. I called uh, my producer. I was like, I, like, I don't fucking trust you. I'm not going, blah, blah, blah. I went off on him. And I was like, if I'm going to the reunion, you are sending me every single question you're asking me beforehand. And if you ask me anything else, I'm walking off. And so he did. He sent me every question. Nick and I practiced them beforehand. And that's why I went to the reunion. After the altar, they did the same thing. Because I was like, I'm not doing any of this until I, until, unless I have the control. Why now? You know, we're, it's been, it's been some time and there's a lot that's happened from the time that the show ended till now. Why now come out and say, this is what happened to me? The thing that's funny, if someone were ever to pay attention to me closely, this is not the first time I've said this stuff. Mm-hmm. I've been saying this stuff since during the show. You can go back to my Instagram right after the panic attack scene aired. I straight up said all of this. Right after the show aired, in every podcast that I did, I said all of this. Right now, Business Insider reached out to all of us. We all spoke out, and it went viral. And so this isn't new for me. I've gotten, I've gotten a slap on the wrist many times. It's because of this that everyone is now hearing the story, and I'm talking about it more frequently. But this isn't a why now for me. Trust me, I've been doing this the whole time, and I probably should be saying that. So <laughs> they don't go back and look at all my videos, but... Yeah, this is yeah. I've been, well, you know, in, in your part. in your defense too, and I'm not going to name names here because I've I've talked to other people from you know different seasons, and I have heard from more than one person exactly what you're telling me. I have also heard that it depends on the producers that you get, if whether they're ethical, whether they're not ethical, and I've also heard stories of you specifically just collaborating with what you're saying here too. Um, mm-hmm. So to your point, I do think that. It, it matters on who you get. And I, I, it's TV at the end of the day. Like you guys have to understand when you're listening. Now I've personally never been through this. I've been on a TV show, but it wasn't ongoing. It was a one-time thing. But even from my experience, when I went on Steve Harvey show, I know that we did an hour and some change of filming and only eight minutes of that entire segment yeah. got aired. And people roasted me in the comments, like I, her face oh is filled God. with Botox. She, she's a social worker. She can't, she just wants a man to pay her bills and what? she's got a kid who's going to want her. So I can't even imagine what you went through because that was just a one-time thing. And I was roasted. Tell me about <laughs> I'm laughing because I was like, I'm looking at the at the comments and I'm like, what the fuck? You don't even know me. How did it feel for you once everything was aired? Take me back to the day that you watched the show. Did you go on Facebook? Were you reading the comments? And if so, what was it like for you? Oh, man, this is, it's so funny because I didn't want my mental health to be discussed. I didn't want the panic attack to be aired. So I had a conversation. Uh, I was very, very, um, I had an insider actually who watched the show before it aired. 
who works for, I'm not going to say. So they actually gave me a warning that the panic attack did air. And so the creator of the show, Chris Colling, FaceTimed Nick and I the day before the show came out saying, we took out every word of anxiety. We didn't air anything about mental health. We don't want that to be a part of it. It's too sensitive a subject. And I was like, oh, you know, okay. And then the next day, it's like every other word that comes out of my mouth. And mm-hmm. so um, I just thought that was such a weird line. I still can't bring myself to come up with any sort of assumption as to why he did that. But I actually didn't watch most of it. It was funny. Someone like I saw a clip of myself on TV. I was like, oh, I didn't even like, you know, I like I didn't even know that that had happened or that they aired it because I, I didn't watch most of it. Um, I watched like the family scenes. I watched our wedding and I watched the pods. But outside of that, I, I haven't watched any of the the season, the full season. I haven't even watched my friends. So it is weird sometimes when I see clips of myself that I've never mm-hmm. seen before, but the hate was unreal. You know, I anticipated a level of hate, but I didn't expect my mental health to be at the forefront of all of the hate. And like there were Reddit threads and Facebook groups all just diagnosing me with, with different, you know, mental health issues. And I remember talking to my psychiatrist and I was like, do I have this? Do I have this? Do I have this? It's like, no, Danielle. Because again, I believe the things I read online. Um, And so then I, again, that put me in an even worse low because, you know, the entire world is also making you feel like you don't know yourself and that you're not the person that you thought you were. Um, Because, you know, I I would love myself. I had great friends. Like I was always a great friend, a great daughter, like a good supporter to everyone that I know. I was fine with my mental health. I'm not just some Looney Tune running around, like screaming at people, making fights out of nowhere. That was someone else poking the fights to make us have fights anyways. So it just like, you know, it just like it made me question myself again. And I didn't go around my friends anymore. I didn't do anything. I just secluded myself to our place for like over a month because I was like, I don't deserve to have these friends. Why are they friends with me? Um, I actually talked to them. I was like, you know, you guys are so supportive and so amazing. And sometimes I just don't know like why I deserve you. And they're like, Danielle, like stop letting mm-hmm. this get to you. Yeah. But it, it really, really just questioned my, my myself, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's it, when you have that many people who are saying certain things and I think the most stable person would be affected. You know, I didn't go through the show that you went through, but even just reading those comments, like I was like, what the fuck? Like, do, do I, do I get too much Botox? Do I need to like, you know, am I, am I having resting bitch face? Do I come off like, like a, a unkind person? Those are, you know, I think the most stable person would ask themselves these questions. If you have millions of people that are saying the same thing. Um, does it make it true though? Absolutely not. I actually want to, let me ask you this when you, I know you didn't watch all of the show, but was there a particular time in the show that you were really proud of yourself for, or something that you did like how you were portrayed? You know, what's unfortunate is that I watched, I've gotten so much hate. I'm going to cry. No, Mm. because every, (laughs) sorry, every single sentence I said was ripped apart by so many people that no, like, I wish I was. I wish I could say yes, but no. Yeah, no. I'm really sorry that those things happened to you. And, yeah. but I am, I'm really proud of you. No. And you know what? Don't say sorry for crying because crying's a release and this is a way for you to process everything. And it's so healthy for you to process and talk yeah. and to speak your truth. And people can be so unkind people can be unkind yeah. and, and it's troll five, six, two, five, four with <laughs> no profile picture. That's being yeah. the most unkind and True. you're such a beautiful soul and you didn't deserve that. But you know Thank what you. though? I'm a firm believer that people go through things 
for a reason, to learn lessons, to have certain experiences, to put us where we're supposed to be. And sometimes we don't always understand why they happen. And we don't always understand why it's fair or how, why did I deserve this? But in the long run, whether it's five years from now, six years from now, I hope that you're able to be like, you know, it, it, I learned a lot of things. I met a lot of people and I'm proud of who I am right now. I know that Nick Vial um, came out with a podcast that I, I, I wasn't too happy with some of the things that he said, criticizing your experience um, in many ways. And what I want to ask you is for people like Nick Vial, and I'm not saying say this to Nick, but people like Nick Vial who have those feelings, what do you say to them? What do you wish they knew? You know, the thing that's interesting is I've connected with so many people from other reality TVs to TV shows. Um, I was actually with a bachelor, some bachelor people last night. He's the only one that has that perspective. He has that perspective because he's best friends with the publicist of Kinetic, who then gives him opportunities based on that people to come on the show. So I guarantee they asked him to say that stuff. Oh, I guarantee that there's no food, that there was food and water. Really? I guarantee that they get X, Y, and Z. Oh, they got their Coachella tickets paid for. Nick and I paid for those. I'm like, you are literally like making the stupidest assumptions. Like, why are you even talking about Coachella tickets? Like, I'm like, we literally did pay for those because we wanted to go. Like, what? Like, it's just so stupid. The things that he's like, I know this and I know that. And I'm like, like the stupidest thing of a Coachella ticket that he would bring up. I'm like, what the heck? Um, and then him just saying that he actually did a second interview that someone sent to me. I couldn't watch it, but they gave me a recap where he said that I only discussed suicide and mental health for attention. And that really stung. That's what really, really, really set me off because this is something I've always discussed in a small group of people, a, a big group of people. It's something I've been involved with way before the show. Um, something that I, that is the most gratifying part of the experience. If that's something that I take out of it, it's the relief relationships that I build with people. God damn it. Mm. Um, and it's sad because, you know, this is usually a big month for me and I'm too scared to talk about some of my experiences that I typically do because this guy is like a bully and is saying, I only do it for attention. And I like, I let that get to me too, where it's like, Oh my God, like I let these people impact me so much that I know I don't deserve it. And it's just like, Oh, <laughs> but this stuff hurts. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like this stuff, hurts and he's like just going around acting like this like asshole doubling down on trying to to make us feel worse because we spoke out and it's like oh sorry <laughs> no you don't you don't ever have to apologize for feeling the way that you feel I think that anyone who's able to speak up and talk about it that's a positive thing because the more yeah. awareness that we have around mental health the better and a lot of people struggle and don't even know how to put words to how they're feeling yeah. so that's a strength that you have and he doesn't know your backstory this may be something that took years for you to feel comfortable enough to come out oh and my so God, and yeah And sometimes that's how people find support, you know, sometimes by saying, hey, like I'm struggling with this, I need help, that whatever support you can get is helpful. Uh, I'm really sorry that he said those things. I don't agree with it. I don't think that it's ever fair to be judgmental on why someone's going through what they're going through or be the one to say that, oh, well, they should have known better or this should have happened because it's not not black and white. Yeah, she was suicidal, should have been on the show. They should know what they're getting themselves into. And again, like I bring up the fact that there have been multiple 
people from, you know, The Bachelor, specifically one from his season, who like lost their battle after going through that experience. I saw that. And to not have the empathy for, you know, people from your own cast in order to have this narrative that you want to convey to the world because you're friends with producers, it's disgusting. It's disgusting. And again, like after I actually spoke out about him, the amount of people who know him personally, who have been on different shows with him, reached out and were like, thank you for standing up to him. Well, I'm proud of you for speaking your truth. Um, I'm proud of Nick as well. I don't I don't personally know Nick. We follow each other on Instagram, but I just am really happy that he was supporting you through this as yeah. well. And a lot of people are like, well, you guys went through a divorce. But that doesn't mean that you have to hate each other. That doesn't mean that you yeah. can't be supportive. You know, sometimes things just don't work out. I'm divorced. <laughs> it doesn't yeah. mean that I hate the guy. Sometimes it just happens like that and, and life takes you in different directions. So looking back at your experience, what do you want people to know or what do you wish people knew more of when it comes to mental health? You know, it, it's tough. It's a battle. Like I didn't feel comfortable talking about it with a small group of people until like a couple of years ago. And so there's just like so many different things that I wish I could say. Like number one, I, I wish that the youth was educated more on these topics, whether it be in like I wish it was in school, you know, so that they could understand if they're feeling a certain way. Or so other people who might not know how to support others or not stigmatize others who do. And I think also just making sure that people know that it's okay to not be alone. I wish that everyone knew where to get the resources. Um, Again, to not judge yourself based on other people's experiences. I know I used to say, how do I have PTSD when this happened to me, but this happened to someone else and that's not as bad. And, you know, then I would feel worse about myself for feeling bad and that snowballs. And so that's another thing that I think is important for people to know. And it's just and not being afraid to, to communicate how you're feeling, what you're doing to help yourself. You know, I didn't talk about going to outpatient until it like actually randomly slipped in a podcast. And then that was like the headline. And I'm almost glad now because now I feel mm-hmm. confidently speaking about it. And people have said, I feel confident and less embarrassed going now because I heard that podcast. And so the more I'm like speaking about things that I never thought I would be confident enough to speak about, the more I feel better about myself yes. for going. The yes. more, you know, so it's like the more you talk about it, like a lot of the times, the better you'll feel. Danielle, I'm a therapist and I get therapy. Trust me. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> there are things that I, I struggle with anxiety. I struggle with. Um, I've had tons of toxic relationships in my past. There are so many things about myself that I'm it's, I'm continuously working on because healing is not linear. There's no yeah. there's no end to, to healing and growing. That's the beautiful thing about being human. We're spiritual yeah. beings living a human existence. And I actually just interviewed uh, someone named Coot Blackson, who's amazing. And one thing that he said to me that really stuck out when it comes to, I was asking him the question, how do, how do I find my purpose? How does someone find their purpose? And he said, your purpose isn't about what you do or your job or the relationship you're in. You're a human being, you're a spiritual being living a human existence. And part of that is evolution. Part of that is growth. So as long mm-hmm. as you're continuing to grow, you're living in your purpose. Yeah. Every day is living in your purpose. And I thought that was really beautifully put. Mm -hmm. Um, Danielle, for you, if you were talking to and looking at the creator of the show, the head of Love is Blind, what would you say to them right now? (laughs) Shame on you. Do better. Mm -hmm. Please do better for the, the future people so they don't have to go through this. Danielle, I want to just thank you for 
being vulnerable, for sharing your experiences. I know it's not easy and it's also not easy when you have a powerful company at the back end who can direct a completely different narrative and God knows what else. Um, I think that's very brave. I commend you for it and always speak your truth. As long as you're speaking your truth, you'll always be on the right path. And thank you for um, coming on, on this platform to do that. And I'm really grateful that this was a safe enough space for you to do so. So uh, my gratitude and thank you for coming on. No, thank you so much for having me.